Proverbs here, chapter 2. If you weren't with us last week, uh, we started the book of Proverbs. Wonderful, wonderful little study here on wisdom and, and seeking God. You know, as we normally try to go through a book, we try to pick up a theme. And, you know, Colossians, it was all about Christ. Well, here at the book of Proverbs, it's all about wisdom. And I think every single one of us here needs more wisdom on dealing with life and dealing with situations. And last week, as we did Proverbs 1, we talked about verse 22. The book of Proverbs refers to the simple ones, the scorners, the mockers, and the fools. And we talked about how these people are ones that we run into and sometimes we are. The simple ones believe everything. And so the book of Proverbs here is to say, here, here's the truth. The, scor- the scorners and the mockers are the ones that are so arrogant, so prideful. You know, They think they have it all figured out. They don't need the Lord. They don't need God. They don't need to go to church. They don't need wisdom. They, they got it all figured out. And then there's also the fools. The fools that just don't want to know anything. Book of Proverbs is written, written to them. Now, problem is, verse 22, sometimes we fall into those categories. Sometimes I'm very simple and I believe everything and the Lord says, James, you need to pray about that. Sometimes I'm the, the scorners, the mockers, the scoffers. I'm so arrogant, I'm so prideful that I don't see it from anybody else's perspective and way because I'm sure I have the right answer. God says, James, you need wisdom for that. And sometimes I'm the fool. Sometimes I hate knowledge, as it says in verse 22, and God says, James, you really need to start praying for some more wisdom. So as we go through the book of Proverbs here, you're going to see this book is written to us to say, learn wisdom. And as we talked about last week, verse 7 of Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How it's the relationship with Christ that gives us wisdom. And that's one of the key points here, is it's our relationship with the Lord that's going to give us wisdom. Well, with that being said... As we get now into Proverbs chapter 2, we're going to read the first five verses here. And I want you to focus on some of these words. And I looked at the different translations, depending on what translation you have, King James, NIV, New King James. They're they're pretty close and similar. So I'm going to focus on some of these words here. Look at Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver... And search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, the key verse is actually verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, I would hope by most of us being here today, we want to find the knowledge of God. Now, I hope you can make it next week, because next week is the classic lesson of how do I know God's will for my life. That's the question I probably get more than any other question, is how do I know what God wants me to do? We're going to get into that next week. But verse 5 is kind of just touching on it right here. Find the knowledge of God. How many of us sitting here today have a big decision? We're trying to pray for wisdom. Lord, what do I do? What's the next step? How do I respond to this person? How do I say, where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to go to school? What do you want me to do? We're trying to find the knowledge of God. We're looking for wisdom. And some of you are probably getting pretty stressed out about some of those situations and answers. Well, how do you get to verse 5? See, here's the problem. We want verse 5 right now. God says, if you want verse 5, you have to do verses 1 through 4. Well, what's verses 1 through 4 say? Well, let's start in verse 1. We need to receive and we need to treasure. Okay, look at verse 2. We need to incline and we need to apply. Verse 3, we need to cry out and we need to lift up. Verse 4, we need to seek and we need to search. It takes effort. It takes effort. 
If you want to know God's will, if you want knowledge in your life of what you're supposed to do, it's going to take effort. Look at those words. You need to receive and treasure and incline, apply, cry, lift, seek, search. When somebody comes to me and they have a big decision in life and I'm said, have you prayed about it? I, I usually get a, yeah, I, I prayed about it a little bit the other day. I'm telling you, sometimes you need to pray about it continually, regularly. The Bible says pray without ceasing. If i got a big situation coming up, every time it comes to my mind, I'm giving it over to the Lord saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Give me wisdom on this. Give me knowledge on this. Because if I don't, what starts to happen is I start to try to analyze it from my great, infinite wisdom. And then I try to figure it out. And as I try to figure it out with my great, infinite wisdom, I usually just get more nervous, more worried, more fearful, more anxious. And God says, why don't you receive, treasure, incline, apply, cry, lift, seek, and search, and then you'll have your answer. But I was thinking about this the other day. I was outside last night late, and I'm thinking about this. Prayer is a lot of work. And it's a lot of work because it's so simple as you sit there and pray to start thinking of everything else you could be, should be doing. And as you pray, you're thinking, well, i got to get this done around the house. i got to get this ready for work. The kids want to go do this. And what happens is, generally in our spiritual walk, our time in the Word and time in prayer starts going out the window. And when that time in the Word and time in prayer starts to dissipate and get smaller and smaller, let's just be honest, we're not going to know what God wants us to do. By being in prayer and being in the Word, that's how we figure out what the knowledge of God is. That's how we figure out what He wants us to do. When I run into a Christian that is just going stir-crazy and they're confused, and Lord, what do you want? I usually want to ask them, how are you spending time with your Lord? Usually the answer is, not enough. Well, then right there's your answer. How about you spend a little bit more time with Him? But if you spend more time with God, what does that mean? Some other area in your life has to be sacrificed. And we don't want to do that. I mentioned to you Wednesday there, I'm a big fan of uh, the World Cup soccer. I absolutely love it. And so this afternoon is the final. The Dutch versus Spain. I'm excited. You know what I told Dawn yesterday? I told Dawn, said, you know what? Pre-game starts at 1.30. It's going to start at 2.30. I said, I'm going to be in front of that TV. I said, I'm going to be eating this. I'm going to be having this as a snack. And I'm going to sit there and watch this soccer game. And soccer games go on for about two hours, right? That's what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. So unless you have an absolute emergency, don't call me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Call me. But isn't it funny how you plan that out? Oh, I can't wait. Now, right now, at 2.30, you guys are going to be afraid to call me. Don't be afraid to call me. I, I just won't answer. But the point is, <laughs> you, you plan it out. Now, why is it so hard for me to get up 15 minutes early to pray about stuff before I, I leave for the day? I can plan out days in advance, three hours of my life, to go watch two foreign nations that I know nothing about kick around this little white ball. I can plan that out. But yet, for me on Monday to say, you know what, I need to be someplace at fill in the blank at 8, so it's going to take me to get ready. So I'm going to get up at you know, this time so I can have a little bit of time with the Lord. Oh, man, that's a sacrifice. Oh, that's a big, big sacrifice. Or you know what, once the kids go to bed, I know if you remember when your kids were little, you know, when we get our kids to bed, it's finally like, you know, it's quiet. Good, I can finally have time to myself now. Well, I could use that time to spend in the Lord and in the prayer and the Word. Yeah, I know, but it's finally my time. And the idea of making that sacrifice, and this is where it comes down to, is if you want to know knowledge, if you want wisdom, if you want guidance in life, then you need to, verses 1 through 4, receive, treasure, incline, apply, cry, lift, seek, and search. It's going to take effort. But sometimes do we want to do that? 
Turn, if you will, to uh, Joshua 3 real quick. Joshua 3. Joshua 3 is one of my favorite little stories in the Bible, and you've probably heard me reference it a lot, but a lot of times we don't go to the actual reference of it. But Joshua 3. Joshua 3 is one of those passages that shows that sometimes you have to put some effort into something before you get the answers you want. Now, a little bit of background. You guys all remember great Charlton Heston here when he crossed the Red Sea with the Israelites and he goes up to the Red Sea, Moses hits the thing, the water splits, and Israel walks across on dry land. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Red Sea and millions of people cross on dry land. And why did it happen? Because Moses did it. Through the power of the Lord, obviously. Now... And Joshua 3, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan during the floodplain. But here's the difference in Joshua 3. Instead of just going up to the water and having a part to walk across, look what happens here in Joshua 3, verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Now why do I bring this up? The Jordan did not part until they got their feet wet. See, now with the Red Sea, it parted before anybody got near the water. God miraculously did it. Here with the Jordan, God says, I'm not parting the water until you get your feet wet. Verse 14, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest, it's flood time, verse 16, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam that city that's besides Artan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arba and the Salt Sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Verse 17, And the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Why do I go to this passage? Is sometimes you have to stick your foot in the water before God does something. So you're sitting here, wanting wisdom and guidance. God says, you know what? I will give you wisdom and guidance when you incline your ear to me, when you rise up to seek me, when you search me out, when you receive my words, you will have wisdom and guidance. When you put some effort into it, I will then do it. Now, that's not something we like to hear. We like our Christianity quick, fast, and easy. Just tell me. I've had people do that before. They call me up and explain to me the situation. They say, what do you think I should do? And what's my always answer? Well, you should probably go spend some time with the Lord and pray about it. Okay, okay, I will, I will. But what do you think I should do? No, you, you don't want my opinion. I can't figure out what to do half the time. But we just want somebody to tell us what to do. Well, you know what? That's the beautiful part about the Lord. He will tell you what to do. problem is he just doesn't tell us what to do loud enough and quick enough. My personal opinion, I think sometimes when we come to the Lord and we haven't been talking to him for a while, and we finally stop and say, Lord, give me wisdom. I think he says, ah, oh, James, I would love to give you wisdom. But first, it is so great to see you. Can we just talk for a little bit? And you're like, okay, yeah, we can talk for a little bit, but give me wisdom. I will give you wisdom, but let's just talk for a while. He finally has your attention. 
And he knows as soon as he gives you the answer, you're probably just going to leave him high and dry again. I think sometimes the Lord says, you know what, spend some time with me. Talk to me for a little bit. we got some catching up to do. But it's just not quick enough. Well, this is what happens is the Lord says, when you put effort into it, you will receive your answers. And where do the answers come from? Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine. Look at verse 6 again. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There is no other wisdom other than God. And a pet peeve of mine sometimes is when I see somebody going through a very difficult situation. And I said, have you prayed about it? Yeah, I've been praying about it. And I usually hear, well, I was talking to this gal at work. And I was wondering what she thought about it. So then she told me what she thought I should do. I don't know who this gal is. But you know what? Unless she's born again and saved and speaking through the Holy Spirit, she's probably not going to be giving you good wisdom. But isn't it funny how we turn to the world for that wisdom and guidance? Or I didn't know what to do, so I called up my best friend. And he, and he said this and she said that. Okay, there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel from other godly believers. But the problem is, if your whole seeking of wisdom is seeking it from somebody else rather than the Lord, you're missing out on wisdom. Because what is in verse 7? Excuse me, verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. His mouth. Now think about this. You can either talk to Sally at work, or you can have access to God, the creator of the universe, and his mouth will speak wisdom to you. Now come on, is there really a comparison? There's none. There's absolutely none. You can actually have access to God. I remember my father-in-law telling me a story a few years ago where he used to go down to uh, Kentucky and go to this um, uh, truck thing and where they had different semis, etc. And I remember him telling me the story one time that he had a problem with something on the upper part of his truck. And he went to the dealership that was there and he was just talking to him. And he's kind of like, hey, you know, here's the problem I'm having with the rough top of my truck. And, you know, I didn't know if anybody here could help or, you know, point in the right direction. And then the guy that he spoke to said, yeah, I can help with that. I'm actually the one that designed it. Now, you have access to the person that actually did it. That's access. See, this is the thing. You can talk to Sally, you can talk to Joe, and they can spout out their wisdom, and maybe some of it's good. But verse 6, you can actually speak to the mouth of the Lord, and he'll tell you what he thinks. Now, isn't that access? I think that's absolutely amazing. And what's the mouth of the Lord? The mouth of the Lord is his word. 2 Peter 1.21 says the Holy Spirit guided these men as they wrote the Bible. And then in Matthew 4.4, 4, it says that we live out of the mouth of God, the very words in the mouth of God. So as you read the Bible, you're really reading what the Lord wants to speak to you. Now, when you have that perspective, you never want to let this book go because this is the mouth of God that speaks to us wisdom. And what's the result of this? Verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. See, look at this. Verses 1 through 4 is the effort that we're supposed to put into it. And then we get verse 5, understanding and knowledge. Verses 6, 7, and 8 are the results of this. Look at verse 7. When we spend time with God, we get wisdom stored up, verse 7, we get a shield that protects us. Verse 8, we get our paths guarded. Verse 8, we are preserved. Verse 9, we have understanding and justice. That's amazing. But once again, it comes down to having to put 
effort into it. See, if you want verses 7 and 8 of you want wisdom stored up for you, you want the shield of God protecting you, you want Him guarding you in verse 8, you have to do the effort part first. See, this just keeps building and building and building that you then get wisdom and understanding. And what's the result of this? Verse 10, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. See, when we have wisdom, there's a safety in that. Jump ahead real quick to uh, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Do you realize by following the Bible, the blessing that comes out of that, I'm willing to bet if we could all sit here and think of the biggest mistake we've ever made in our lives, the biggest thing we've ever done, I'm willing to bet that all of us could sit here and say, you know what, I could probably find a verse that tells me that was wrong. Why? Because the Bible is smarter than us. So when the Bible says, if you listen to me, verse 12, I can deliver you from evil. The Bible tells us in verse 2, if you listen to me, length of days and long life and peace will be added to you. Because when you follow what God says, there's a blessing that comes out of that. And that blessing is a peaceful life. But sometimes we're not really smart, are we? A couple years ago, we got a new grill. And it was a new grill that had one of those electric starters, you know, with the push button. And I love those things. So I had it, but I couldn't figure out how to stick the electric starter thing up into the grill. So I've shared the story before, so some of you may remember it. So I got the grill out, and I couldn't figure out how to get it attached up there. And I thought, this is no big deal. What I'll do is I'll turn the grill on, and I'll just kind of stick the thing up there a little bit and hit the button. So I stuck the thing up there holding on to it, and I hit the button. And you know what? It's an absolutely horrible electric shock. I mean, horrible electric shock. And I know it makes sense now that the point of it is that it creates a spark, and the spark ignites the gas, but starts the grill. Okay, I got it. So never going to do that again. So next season, I get the grill out, and I see this little thing dangling. And I said, oh, it's an electric start. I love these electric starts, but I don't know how to attach it. This is the next year. I'm just going to stick it right up there in the grill thing, and I'll hit the button. And I did it two years in a row. Now, third year... No, I didn't. I finally learned. But the point is, that's stupid. <laughs> There's no other way around that. There should be some wisdom. The first time I hold that, I get shocked. I don't want to do that again. But you know what happens in your life and my life? You do something dumb. You get shocked, and you go right back and do it again. That's not wisdom. The Bible says the dog returns to the vomit. That's disgusting. But I've seen people return to the vomit all the time. I see a gal dating a certain type of guy, and it's like, oh my goodness, that's a horrible guy for you. That's vomit. You're dating vomit. <laughs> so she breaks up with him after heartache and pain. Six months later, oh, she found new vomit. That's disgusting. I see guys have friendships. It's like you're hanging out with vomit. They finally realize those guys are going to bring me down. There's hurt in those relationships, so they quit. But they find new friends that are just vomit again. Now, it's easy from an outside perspective to stop and say, do you not realize the path you're on is going to cause you pain? See, that's the thing is, verse 12, God's word delivers you from the way of evil. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, might not let your heart keep my commands for the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. See, God's word says this is the right path, walk on it. 
And when you walk on the path, I'm not saying the path is smooth because the Christian walk, the Bible says, is narrow. If you find it and be honest, the Christian walk can be bumpy sometimes. The difference between the Christian walk and the walk of the world is when the Christian walk is bumpy, the hand of Jesus comes out and stabilizes you and says, I got you. I'll help you through this. Where when you walk in the world and the world gets bumpy, there's nothing to support you and you fall. But here's the thing. You may know people right now that are walking in a path they shouldn't, and you know the wisdom of God says they shouldn't go down that path, so you try to talk to them. They don't want to hear it. Oh, they don't want to hear it. And you keep thinking, I could save you from so much heartache and pain if you would just listen. And they don't want to hear it. So I used to try to think of the best way to get it hold of them. Just shove it down their throats. They don't want to hear it. I've reached the point now where you make the attempt, you plant the seeds, and sometimes you've got to step back and let that seed just grow. And guys, that's really tough for me to do sometimes because I tell you this, we make a lot of jokes out here, but I tell you, I love everybody that walks through these doors and I would do everything I can for you. But what hurts is when I see somebody who doesn't want to go deeper and I want them to go deeper. Man, I want them to go deeper, but they don't want to. What are you supposed to do? I can point them the right path. I can give them wisdom. I can give them understanding. And sometimes they just don't want it. I've joked with this out here before, but it amazes me. It amazes me how many people eventually just don't want to talk to the pastor because they know what he's going to say. Well, you know what? If you know what the pastor is going to say, hopefully that pastor is speaking from the Lord, probably because they care enough to point your life in the right direction. But do we want to hear it? See, the thing is, well, we do the same thing. I, I was, there's been some stuff I've been struggling with as of late, and I know where the Lord's leading. I know what God wants me to do. And so I'll hear a teaching on it, and I want to change the station. I'll flip to a Christian station, I'll hear a song that has some type of lyric, and I'll, I'll change it. I'll go to my devotions, and there'll be a verse in there. I just don't want to hear it. See, here's the beautiful thing about the Lord. He's a gentleman. He's never going to yell it. He's never going to scream it. But eventually, if we just keep turning him off and turning him off and turning him off, he eventually reaches a point of saying, you know, you know what you're supposed to do. I tell you guys, if you're reaching a point spiritually where the Lord is reaching that area of I'm just kind of done, that's a really scary place to be. It's scary when God starts saying, fine, you're on your own. Because that means that we're allowing ourselves to walk down a path that is going to cause a lot of of heartache and pain. And that's what the rest of Proverbs 2 talks about because verse 10, wisdom enters your heart, knowledge is pleasant to your soul. It is a good thing to make smart choices. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you say something really intelligent you're like, wow. And you do something smart you're like, wow. And then you walk away and you think, boy, if I would have said this or done that, I really could have messed that up. Wisdom is great because it delivers us, verse 12. But what's it deliver us from? It delivers us from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from verse 13, from those who leaves the path of righteousness and walk in the way of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked and whose ways are crooked, who are devious in their paths. Now, when you look at verses 12 through 15, I just envision these people that... Stay away from them. They're just going to pull you down and bring you down. And, and they are crooked, devious paths that are just going to hurt you. And you know, and one of the things that we need to do is after we get saved is sometimes when we get saved, we need to say, okay, Lord, 
I, I need to let some of those relationships go because those relationships are just going to hurt me. I've shared this story with you before, forgive me the repetition, but I had a friend that got saved and uh, really made some great strides in his walk with the Lord. And uh, he had a really rough lifestyle up here. He ended up moving away and um, doing really good in his walk with the Lord. And he came back up. And I, and I remember him telling me, hey, I'm gonna, I'd like to hang out with you, but I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go meet some of these guys. I haven't seen them in a while. And I remember telling him, I said, don't go meet with those guys. That, that is the old you. That, that is the path that's going to tear you down. By you going and hanging out with them, you think you're strong enough to say no to what you used to do. You think you're strong enough to say, I'm not going to. And it's a path that's going to tear you down. And he went, he went to the party and he got torn down. And I remember him talking to me the next day saying, I never should have went. And that's the truth. Isn't this what verses 12 through 15 are talking about? If you see the way of evil, if you see perversity, if you see ways of darkness, if you see, verse 14, those rejoicing and doing evil, whose ways are crooked, verse 15, stay away from them. Don't go near it. And how do you know not to go near it? Because you've done the previous 12 verses where wisdom says, stay away. Verse 16, deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. That's another thing that always pops up. Anytime I see young guys and gals out there dating, the first thing I always tell them is make sure they're a Christian first. Because what happens is you start dating, you get emotionally attached, and then you try to find out where they're at spiritually. That's backwards. Make sure they're born again, on fire for the Lord. And if you can't find that born-again guy or that born-again girl that's on fire for the Lord, be patient and wait for the right one. Because once you get yourself emotionally attached and you go down that path, verses 16 through 19, it's a path of hurt and heartache. That's what it is. And we don't want to see anybody go down that path. Be patient and wait. First Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient. Be patient to wait for the right guy or gal in those relationships. Verse 20, so you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. Verses 21 and 22 are some of those great sum-up verses. It makes it clear. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. So it's really simple. Either you're upright and you're blameless and you're dwelling in the land, meaning peace, prosperity, God's blessing. Or verse 22, you're cut off from the earth. And what's the deciding factor? The deciding factor is wisdom. Are you seeking godly wisdom? Because that is really what's going to dictate your life. I've said out here before, so often I see people make huge life decisions. Who to marry, who to date, where to work, changing jobs, moving. And they make all these decisions with either no seeking of God's will or with a quick little, Lord, let me know what you want me to do. And the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize we probably need to do more praying and less talking. And saying, okay, Lord, I'm not going to take a step until you tell me what to do, until you give me that wisdom, until you give me that guidance, because that's what matters most. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. First Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1 is the 
Probably best New Testament chapter on wisdom. And I always struggled with this passage. I'll be the first one to tell you this. And the reason I struggle with this passage is because I always looked at it so often from the world's perspective. We Christians look really, really silly sometimes. And it always bugged me. And it always bugged me because I thought, man, we give the world so much ammo to pick on Christians. We really are sometimes a strange little bunch. And I look at this, and I finally, I heard a teaching on this, and this pastor said, you've got to remember, the wisdom of the world is always going to think we're fools. And you're right. I, I, I've come to the conclusion that the wisdom of the world thinks we're fools. I, I get this article in this magazine I was reading, and it's talking about how the new family is the uh, one-child family. And it's talked about how strange it is. And they had all these experts on there about how if you have too many kids, you can't devote enough attention to them, enough time, finances, and resources. And actually, you're going to be a really bad parent if you, don't, if you have too many kids. And, you know, I mean, Dawn and I don't have a huge family, but we got four. And I'm like, okay, so I don't know if I'm supposed to return some or what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know. But the point is, you start looking at the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says family's too big. Okay. Wisdom of the world, I, I, I've shared this with you before. Um, I remember when I was in college, and we got down, and we are getting ready to graduate. And I remember the professor saying, you know, here we are, we're graduating with this degree in finance, and finance field, the economy was booming. He says, all of you will do excellent in life and excellent in work as long as you don't go into the ministry. That was his joke. Because he says, you'll do fine in the world as long as you don't go into the ministry because the ministry doesn't pay. And I'm thinking, I'm going into the ministry. Great. Wisdom of the world. And you look at the wisdom of the world, it's really foolish. The wisdom of the world makes no sense. As we talked about last Sunday, why get up on a Sunday morning? Last Sunday was July 4th. Why get up on July 4th Sunday and go to church? Why get up? The wisdom of the world says, stay home. You don't need to go. It's no big deal. The wisdom of the world says, why get up early in the morning and spend time with God? The wisdom of the world says, why play by a set of moral rules when no one else is? Because if you want to survive in this world and survive in business, you've got to do what they do. That's what the wisdom of the world says. And God says, no, that's foolishness. Look at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. You, as a born-again believer, to the world are always going to look foolish. Because you believe in this idea that the world was created in six days when science teaches it wasn't. And you believe in this idea that there's a guy that lived 2,000 years ago that was God in the form of man and he died on the cross and three days later he went in the grave but he came back out. Yeah, that, that's what we believe. The world's going to say that's utter foolishness. If that works for you, great for you. I think it's really crazy that they're saying. Verse 18, 2,000 years ago, God says... Do you realize by being a Christian, everybody's going to think you're a fool? Just accept that fact. They're going to think you're a fool. Verse 19, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the world and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through wisdom, did not know God. See, the world's so smart. It's so smart. They know there's no God. Verse 21, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God says, you think you're so smart? Fine. Here's the message of the cross. The world looks at that and says, that's crazy. 
See, we always want to think that when we go into work or school and we stand up for Christian, being a Christian, that the world is just going to say, that is just wonderful. Good for you. Generally, when you make a stand for Christ, the world says, just keep it to yourself and don't say anything about it. We think it's silly because it's foolishness to them. Verse 22, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. See, and these are the people that you run into. The Jews that request a sign. Have you run into that person that says, okay, I'll believe in God when this happens. Signs don't lead to faith. And you have faith, that's generally when you see the signs. See, I can talk to a non-believer, and they can have the exact same situation happen in their life that happens in my life. And in my life as a Christian, I'll say, look at what the Lord did. He provided. He took care of that. He took something that was horrible and made it good. The unbeliever will look at that and say, I can't believe that happened. Why would that happen? Why would a God of love do that? See, they're seeking that sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. I know some people are too smart for their own good. Always seeking wisdom. They're not seeking the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the world, verse 23. But we preach Christ, crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God says, highly paraphrased, even on my bad days, I'm still smarter than they are. God says, even at my weakest point, I'm still stronger than they are. Now, who are you going to listen to? Is it the wisdom of God? Is it the foolishness of men? That's what we have to decide. That's what Proverbs is trying to tell you. Who are you going to listen to? Every day you have to make a decision who you're going to listen to. There's going to be programs on TV that are going to be spewing out advice for you. Do you really think somebody on TV really knows how best to live your life? God does. You're going to run into people at work that are going to just, for sure, tell you what to do. They know what to do. Are you going to listen? See, and sometimes we listen, and then when we get burned, why do we go back? Why do we return to the vomit? Judah, our second, is at an age right now where anytime we're looking for something, he knows where it's at. So for the first few days, we'd be like, okay, has anybody seen Kenan's blanket? Judah, I've seen it. Okay, great, Judah, where is it at? It's behind the couch. We go behind the couch. Judah, the blanket's not here. Oh, I thought that's where it was. And then, it, okay, fine, mistake. And then be like, uh, Elias was out swimming in the pool, and he likes to wear these goggles. And he's like, have you seen my goggles? Judah says, I see them. Elias says, where they're at? And Judah goes, they're on your head. So Judah and Elias is trying to figure out. And Dawn's like, Judah, that's lying. Judah's like, well, I think I know where they're at. So after day three, it's like, has anybody seen the blanket? Judah says it's behind the couch. We don't even pay attention anymore. It's vomit. You know, it's one of those things where I'm not calling him vomit. Come on, just touchy, touchy today, folks. It's just why do you keep going back to the three-year-old for advice? Point, though, is some of you work with spiritual three-year-olds. And you think what they say is smart? Yeah, they may live 50 years on this earth, but come on, they are not the fountain of wisdom of God. We seek the Lord and His wisdom. We seek His mouth, as it says there in the book of Proverbs. And when that happens, that's when God says, I will direct your paths when you put effort into it. And I'm telling you right now, some of you are seeking wisdom. And you know what? You need to get your feet wet. You need to stick your foot in the Jordan and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you on this. I'm going to spend time with you, seeking you, seeking your guidance, your wisdom, your direction, and I know you will guide and direct my paths. Now, I know the next logical question is, okay, I'm seeking him. Now, how do I know what I want him to do? 
And that's what we're going to get into next week because we didn't have enough time today to do that. And I encourage you to come back next week, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know the verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, next week is how do we hear what he wants us to do. Mark, can come forward here for the final song.